Our Bible reading tonight comes from Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 45, and you can find that on page 830 of your Pew Bibles. That's Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 26, reading through to verse 45. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill his promises to her. First, good evening. Uh, what a quite a remarkable story you've just had read from the Bible. And um, Rebecca McLaughlin, thinking about uh, the story of women in the Bible, and um, you can't get any bigger than Mary, right? And uh, in the morning services, we started this. This was the first sermon in this series. Uh, but because of Matt's ordination, we've sort of brought it in at week three, which doesn't hurt because now it takes us back to uh, the ultimate woman in the Bible, who is Mary. Rebecca McLaughlin writes, Jesus' treatment of women was revolutionary. That's why they flocked to her or to him and still do. Wherever he went, they sought him out. Women sat at his feet and tugged at his robe. They came to him for, for healing, for forgiveness and for answers. And uh, as one of the, um, the writers has said about this book, and some of you have been reading that, we have an extra 10 copies in the foyer, uh, Julius Kim, the president of the Gospel Coalition, writes, in this mind-stimulating and soul-stirring book, Rebecca McLaughlin reveals that far from dismissing and devaluing women, early Christianity was countercultural for the common good. Indeed, it was propelled by women who were truly known and deeply loved. As we look through the eyes and lives of women in the Gospels, we can more clearly see Jesus in all of his truth and his radiant beauty. 
And friends, uh, over the last couple of weeks, we've seen some of that truth. When I spoke on Jesus and the Samaritan woman uh, a couple of weeks ago, as she started to engage with Jesus, she started to see Jesus as the life-giving water, the one who fulfilled her and nourished her and brought her life. We saw that she recognized him as the Messiah, God's anointed king who had come to be the savior. We saw him as the one who elevated women on the margins and brought them into the center, into his family. We saw that she recognized that Jesus was the savior of the world, and so did all the people that she evangelized in her town. They came. Last week, as uh, Matt spoke on Jesus and Lazarus, Lazarus and Mary and Martha, we came to see that uh, Jesus is the resurrection and the life, the one who brings back from the dead men and women, and the one who ultimately will bring eternal life into the future. They also saw him as the Messiah, the Son of God, worthy of sacrificial service. Remember, all that perfume was spilt over Jesus. A year's worth of money poured out on Jesus as an expression of sacrificial service. And now we come to Mary. She is the mother of Jesus. A poor and humble teenager. I'm looking around for 14 or 15 year olds. You're all too old for that, right? I'm looking for 15, 16 year olds because that's probably how old Mary was, we believe. A humble teenager. She came from an, a poor area, from a farming area, from Galilee, which was not respected. It's from the western suburbs, we might say, from Nazareth. And God bypasses Jerusalem, bypasses the center, and goes to the outskirts, to the nothing areas, and chooses a humble teenager to change the world. In the sixth month of of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel said, or went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. What's going on in Mary's? An angel comes. An angel comes and an angel speaks. It's very clear that God is involved here. Mary was greatly troubled at his words. I would be. And wondered what kind of greeting this might be. It's interesting in how God works in your Bibles. You need to pick this up. God announces to Mary ahead of time what he is about to do. There's a word and then a deed. Imagine if Mary didn't get a word from God. She never had sex with anyone, then had a baby. That would be freaky. But God announces what he's going to do, and then he does it. And God announces and then he does it, because partly God wants to get the credit He wants everyone to know that God has done this. This is a work of God. The message is, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, the virgin's name was Mary. Two crucial facts. Number one, Mary was a virgin. She never had sex with anyone else. This is going to be a miracle. That's the point. It's a miracle. And Joseph was of the house of David, from the kingly line. And Mary is secondly a recipient of God's gracious favour. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. The expression highly favoured really means a free bestowal of grace. Mary, God's going to bestow grace upon you. You're a favoured of God. God's going to show you grace, an amazing grace. See, there are other virgins in Nazareth. 
God could have prepared them. Grace eliminates all boasting. So Gabriel quenches the spirit of pride before he does anything else. The Lord is with you, Mary, in a way you can't fathom, but never forget it is a favour, a free gift of grace. God's going to grace you right now. Now Mary knew she wasn't special, she was just a young teenage girl. But the angel said something important is going to happen to her. And therefore he says, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You are to call him Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. We know from the prophet Isaiah that there would be a king who would be born to sit on David's throne forever, Isaiah chapter 9. We know from the prophet Micah that a ruler would be born in David's hometown of Bethlehem who would bring peace to the ends of the earth, Micah chapter 5. And McLaughlin writes, The angel Gabriel's news, delivered to one small town teenage girl, was like a flaming torch unleashed in the darkness, a song of hope amidst the groans of Jewish pain. It was a call to arms with a promise of unquestionable victory. God's long-awaited king was on his way. Israelites have been waiting for this king, been waiting for the Messiah, waiting for the deliverance of, of Israel, waiting to overcome the Romans, been waiting, 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 century after century after century, and the word is now, now is the time. He will be called Jesus. Jesus, the word comes from the word Joshua. If your name's Joshua, it means the Lord is salvation. So he will be a saviour. He will be great. This is no ordinary king, he will be a great king. He will be called the Son of the Most High, uniquely God's Son in the image of God, begotten from all eternity. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He is a king. Mary, let me tell you what he's going to be like. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. This is a king who comes, who reigns forever. Mary catches her breath. Instead of mocking the impossible, if it was me, I'm going, yeah, sure, I'm not sure this is going to happen. Maybe I'm imagining this, uh, this angel speaking to me. Maybe, really, this is happening. Am I going to wake up from my dream and just go back to normal life? No, this is not a dream. This is a word from God for this young teenage girl in first century Palestine. How will this be since I'm a virgin? In other words, I have not known a man in a sexual way. The angel said, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. She asked the question, how? The answer is simply the Holy Spirit. No more explanations. It's not describing science or how it's going to work. It's just, don't worry, Mary, the Holy Spirit will make this happen. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, therefore the child to be born will be called the Son of God. And in verses, if you have your Bibles there, verses 36 and 37, Gabriel gives the pregnancy of Baron Elizabeth as evidence for Mary that with God nothing is impossible. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. So how does Mary respond? It's an extraordinary message. Mary says in these beautiful, humble words of trust and reliance upon God, 
Behold, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. God, I'm yours. Just do whatever you want with me. I'm yours. I'm your servant. How do we see Jesus through Mary's eyes at this moment? We see Jesus as the everlasting son of God, the promised king, the great I am made flesh. We also see the life upending blessing of receiving Jesus and how it can only be received by those who know they are nothing more than servants of the Lord. Friends, you and I are not called to be the mother of God's only son. Only one person had that capacity. But as we look at Jesus through his mother's eyes, we can see that God grabs ordinary folk to be his chosen agents in the world. So when I look at this story, I think if I just submit myself to Christ and give myself completely to him, my hands, my feet, my arms, my mouth, to love and to serve him, God can take the ordinary person like me, like you, and use us for his glory. But it takes humble acceptance of Christ and his plans in your life. But friends, as we look through Mary's eyes, we also see the cost of letting Jesus in right here. On his Father's Day, I want to say I thank God for women. I thank God that you give birth and not me. I honour those who've experienced the pain and joy of pregnancy and giving birth. Every pregnancy and birth is costly. Nine months of pregnancy, morning sickness, a changing body, a growing baby, constant tiredness, depression at times, anxiety, and then the birth. And nursing an infant day and night is a never-ending sacrifice. But for Mary, it was more than this. She risked much more with Jesus than she would have had with any other child. What did she risk? She risked her reputation, her marriage prospects, her community, even her life, when she replied to Gabriel, I am the Lord's servant, may your word be fulfilled. Sure, Mary, we believe you, it's of God. And we know that uh, even Joseph was going to divorce her. But she said, I am the Lord's servant. God, just take me and use me. Then she goes to Elizabeth. She rushes to a person who might understand her situations. So the second woman, Elizabeth. We'll come back to Mary later. She's the mother of John the Baptist and a prophet. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. There she is. She walks in. She greets Elizabeth. There's two women, Mary, Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Two radical things are taking place right here in this text. The unborn baby John leaps in Elizabeth's womb in response to the words. You might say, oh, the baby's always kicked. No, no, no. That's not the point of this text. The point of the text is that as she speaks, the baby leaps. The baby is responding to God, God's word. Then Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. Now that's different. In the Old Testament, great leaders of God's people or great prophets were at times filled with the Holy Spirit. Later, Zechariah will be filled with the Holy Spirit in Luke chapter 1 and will prophesy. But here Elizabeth is spirit-filled and God reveals to her who Jesus is. You see, the Holy Spirit has not yet come at Pentecost. That comes a bit later, when all will receive the Holy Spirit. But God fills her with the Holy Spirit to speak a prophecy. 
And she says this, blessed are you among women, this is what God's told her, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed what the Lord, that the Lord would fulfil his promises to her. Mary doesn't need to tell Elizabeth her news. That's the point. Elizabeth knows. The Holy Spirit has revealed to her what Mary has been told by Gabriel. She knows that Mary is carrying her Lord and that Mary believed what God promised. Friends, at times in the Old Testament, God spoke through female prophets. But right here, God grants Elizabeth a gift of prophecy to glimpse who Jesus is even before he's born. And although Mary, uh, sorry, Elizabeth is Mary's social superior as a much older married woman, she speaks words that humble her and exalt her younger relative. Through Elizabeth's eyes, what do we see? That Jesus is our Lord, even when that's not remotely how things seem. Jesus is in embryonic form, invisible to human eyes. Take note, he's still human there. He is the Lord there. He's not fully formed yet, and he's not yet out of the womb, yet in the womb. Did you hear that? My Lord. He is fully the Lord there. He has no earthly power at all, but the spirit-filled Elizabeth knows better. She knows she's in the presence of the Lord. Let's get back to Mary. Elizabeth's words are all the confirmation Mary needs. I mean, a radical, almost impossible thing is about to take place in her life. Again, she's 15 or 16. Imagine you're that, that young girl. Where is God? Ready to bring the Lord Jesus, the Son of God, into the world from heaven to earth. And he's occupying himself with two obscure, humble women. And Mary is so moved by this vision of God, the lover of the lowly, that she breaks out in a song called the Magnificat. Mary and Elizabeth are wonderful heroines in Luke's account. They believe, they trust, they submit. And the thing that impresses Luke most is appears that he is impressed by their lowliness and cheerful humility. For example, Elizabeth says, why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord will come to me? Mary says, the Lord has been mindful of the humble state of his servants. And friends, I learn here that the only people whose soul can truly magnify the Lord are people like Elizabeth and Mary. People who acknowledge their lowly estate and are overwhelmed by the grace of the magnificent God. I don't deserve any of this. Friends, let me say, when I was saved at the age of 15, I came to realise that I was a nobody and God chose to save me through the grace of God in Jesus. As a result of that, I could not but worship him, honour him, evangelise for him, love for him, proclaim him. These women saying, God, whatever you want, we're yours. And then we get to Mary's song in verses 46 to 56. This wasn't read earlier, but let me just take you through it a little bit. And this teenage girl seems to have a good grasp of the Bible. Well, no, she writes this song of praise. For in her song, she seems to have been influenced by the song of Hannah in the Old Testament. You may not remember the story of Samuel and his mother Hannah. Hannah had no children, 
was abused by other women because of it. She was laughed at and mocked because she could not bear children. And she prayed earnestly that the Lord would give her a son. And he did. Well, in 1 Samuel chapter 2, Hannah sings a song of praise which is similar to Mary's song. It's not word for word. Neither Mary nor Luke is quoting the Old Testament. Instead, it seems that Mary is so steeped in Scripture that when she breaks out in praise, the words that come naturally to her lips are the words of Scripture. Here's this young woman who knows the Word of God. This is a young woman who's been reading the Word of God, memorizing the Word of God, because when she expresses her love for God, her thanksgiving, she, in a sense, mirrors the words of the Old Testament. Do you want joy in your soul today? Be like Mary. Steep your mind and heart in the Scriptures day and night. Know it so that uh, the Bible's thoughts will become your thoughts. The Bible's instructions will be what guides you and directs you. Be like Mary. But she goes on. She expresses what she feels in her heart, verses 46 to 47, namely joy. As a result of this amazing revelation... She says, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Again, she's not glorying in herself. She's not going, wow, I'm amazing. God set me apart and I'm going to be this famous woman and I, the son of God is going to be born. No, no, none of that. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. God's my Savior. I need him. Secondly, she mentions what God has done specifically for her as an individual. Verse 48, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. God, you are so good. What you're about to do is going to change my life, how people will see me. But thirdly, she spends most of the time describing the way God is in general. What fills Mary's heart is that God loves to undertake for the underdog, who calls on his, for his mercy. Notice in verse 50, it says, His mercy extends to those who fear him. Verse 52, he has lifted up the humble. Verse 53, he has filled the hungry with good things. In other words, God is on the side of the humble, those who trust in him. And God is against those who are against God. Verse 51, he has scattered those who are proud in their own inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has sent the rich away empty. And through Mary, Hannah's and Mary's eyes, we see that Jesus is the one who turns the tables on all human power. He magnifies his greatness by blessing the lowly who admire his greatness and by abasing the proud who resent his greatness. There is so much to see and learn from these women and these stories. We see this truth of God being on the side of the humble in Mary's birth or Mary's giving birth to Jesus. She gives birth to Jesus far from home without the most basic comforts. He's born in Bethlehem, the birthplace of King David. But far from being in a royal luxury, he comes into the world in poverty. Mary, Mary wrapped him in cloths, placed him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. McLaughlin writes, Mary prophesied that through Jesus, the Lord would exalt the poor at the expense of the rich, Chapter 1, verse 52 to 53. When she lays Jesus in an impoverished crib, she witnesses the pivot point of this reversal as the greatest king in history was wrapped up in poverty. 
And it's not a surprise that in this upside-down kingdom that an angel announces such momentous news to a group of poor ragtag shepherds. God is just doing bizarre things, humanly speaking. He's going to the poor, he's going to the outcasts, he's going to the people on the margins. It's not, my gospel is for everyone, it's good news. And the angel said to these shepherds, who are not highly valued or respected, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. The very announcement reminds us that God is on the side of the poor, the lonely, the oppressed, the outcast. The shepherds hear this message. And what do they do? They go and find Jesus. And they pass on the message, the angel's message, to anyone who will listen. How do we see Jesus through Mary's eyes at this moment? We see him as the one through whom God's promises are already coming true. We see that the lack of room at the inn is not a mistake, but a message. Jesus came for the poor and excluded first, but he is also a saviour for all the people, rich and poor, male and female, young and old. As Mary learns to nurse her son, she also learns more of who he really is, a saviour who is Christ the Lord. But it doesn't finish there. There's still Simeon and Anna in Luke Luke chapter 2. Jesus taken to the temple so Mary and Joseph Joseph could make a sacrifice for their firstborn. And they show again that they are poor, they're not wealthy, because they offer the lower income sacrifice, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. They're different levels of sacrifice. If you don't have very much money, that's what you give. They're the parents of Jesus. But poverty can't hide who Jesus is. Simeon and Anna were waiting for the birth of Jesus in the temple. They're hanging around. They know that the Messiah is going to be born. They know that the Son of God is coming. And Simeon says this from verses 25 onwards. I'll go from 26. It has been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. When he saw him, He recognized him, and Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. I'm ready to die, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a life of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Said the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Gabriel had told Mary that she was highly favoured of God. Elizabeth told Mary that she was blessed among women. Simeon tells her that a sword would pierce her soul. Simeon's word must have cut her to the core. Mary had already risked disgrace. She had already experienced the pain of childbirth and its demanding aftermath. But this most blessed of women has more suffering to come. And friends, if we look at Jesus through Mary's eyes at this moment, we see that being close to Jesus means embracing suffering. Jesus would be opposed and her heart would be impaled. And this opposition starts from infancy. How does a young 16-year-old girl handle such a message? 
See, the Magi came from afar to visit and worship him. Mary sees that Jesus is God's promised king. Yet Herod wants him dead. You know the story. He orders the slaughter of all boys younger than two in Bethlehem, and Mary and Joseph have to flee to Egypt. She had, in one sense, an unwanted pregnancy by God, Holy Spirit. She has this baby that's going to be the savior of the world. And then the prophet Simeon says, no, it's going to be a sword that's going to pierce your heart. And then Herod tries to kill all the babies, and you take off to another country. You're still probably 16 or 17 years of age with your husband. But then there was another prophet, the prophetess Anna, another woman speaking into this story. Also prophet Anna, the daughter of Peniel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old and she had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. There's this godly woman in the temple. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. She sees the child says, this is the one. Listen, this is the one who's going to redeem Israel. This is the one. Come, she says, as a prophet. And through Anna, we see Jesus as the redeemer of God's people. She proclaims him throughout the temple to all who would listen. Let me conclude. Mary, Elizabeth, and the prophetess Anna lived very different lives. Mary was young and poor and seemingly insignificant. Elizabeth lived most of her life with the cultural shame and personal grief of infertility. Anna had been widowed young and was now old. But each spoke words inspired by God to help us see who Jesus is. As we look through their eyes today, may we see Jesus who he truly is, the Son of God, born in poverty, revealed in history, sent to redeem his people and to be God's promised everlasting universal king, a king deserving of our worship and undivided devotion. Let me pray. Lord, help us to see you through the eyes of Mary and Elizabeth and Anna and, and Simeon. Help us to see you in all your glory. Help us to see what it means to follow you. The costly obedience that you have called us to. And Lord, as we recount these stories, as we seek to hear from you, Lord, may we see what these women saw. Your beauty, your identity, your saving work, your redemption of Israel and of the nations your everlasting universal reign. And may we give our lives completely to you in worship and undivided devotion. We pray this in Jesus' name for his glory. Amen.